Numbers chapter 15. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this word, every single bit of it. Just pray, Lord, as we continue through this wonderful book, the book of Numbers, Lord, that you would keep our hearts tender before you, that we would be warned as appropriate, strengthened, Lord, by the word. And that we would absorb every bit of it, Lord, that it wouldn't go just one ear, in one ear and out the other. It would really become a part of our lives, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the context here of Numbers chapter 15. We saw last week in Numbers chapter 14 that rebellion, the children of Israel, had just begun their march from uh, Sinai uh, up to Israel. They got to the border of uh, Israel, and they sent in 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. Ten of them gave a bad report, and notwithstanding the good report of the uh, of two of them, Joshua and Caleb, uh, the bad report spread amongst the people um, a rebellion began. They uh, cried out that they wanted to select a leader to take them back to Egypt. Uh, not only that, they uh, got pre prepared to uh, stone Moses and Aaron with stones. Just, just craziness, uh, really. And... Uh, God threatens to strike them down and uh, start a brand new nation from Moses and himself. And it says that uh, Moses fell before the Lord and interceded for the people. And the Lord relented. Uh, amazing thing, the Lord is filled with mercy. And, and that's what Moses pleaded. Verse 18 of Numbers uh, 14, uh, reminding the Lord uh, who he was. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Uh, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. And so pleads the mercy um, of the Lord. Uh, in verse 19, he says, according to the greatness of your mercy, forgive these people. And so um, the Lord uh, relents, except for the 10 men who had brought back the bad report. Verse 37 says they uh, died in a plague before the Lord. And uh, to the rest of them, um, they were pardoned. However, 
they were um, there 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 were definitely consequences um, for their sin, and, and uh, specifically, um, all of them would die. Uh, in uh, verse twenty-eight uh, through. Uh, 35 he, he the most uh, Lord gives Moses instructions of, of, of uh, what to tell the the people and uh, he tells them in verse 29 the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness um, all of you who were numbered and remember we saw a numbering a census at the beginning of of, of, of numbers and it says in verse 31, but your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring into the land. Uh, and it says that the people mourned greatly uh, when they heard this report, verse uh, 39. And uh, they uh, proceeded to, with an emotional response of saying, hey, oh, hey, we will go in anyway. And so um, Moses told them, no, no, uh, you can't do that. The Lord won't be with you. And they try anyway and were defeated. And they were beaten back. And so they're demoralized here, entering into chapter 15, utterly demoralized. And here we will see the incredible loving kindness of the Lord. Chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have come into the land, you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you. So underscore that word when and which I am giving to you. And so uh, in the midst of their very low place. He's just pouring mercy onto their soul, reminding them that there is, that he has a future for them. Of course, it's going to be for their children, but um, they, th there is a future. There is hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Uh, that was spoken by Jer uh, to Jeremiah to Israel in the midst of uh, what was an enormous uh, judgment um, against uh, the children of Israel. Uh, but that is the character of the Lord. And, and how wonderful it is when we are in a, after a time of great failure, when we when the Lord meets us in that place and just pours on the mercy as only he can do. I can think of no better picture of this than John 21, when after Peter failed so miserably, uh, Jesus had told his disciples um, the night that he was arrested, that all would forsake him. And Peter got up in the midst of all of them and cried out, even if all forsake you, I will not. And um, and uh, lo and behold, of course, um, he did. He, he forsook Jesus, denied him three times. But then after his resurrection in John 
uh, 20 uh, and John 21, uh, he uh, restored Peter. And he restored him in uh, just as he had publicly failed, he publicly uh, restored him. He and uh, said to him in John 21, 15, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Notice how he doesn't say, I love you more than all of these, as he did before. On the night Jesus was arrested, he just acknowledges that he loves them. Jesus repeats himself in verse 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter responded, uh, yes, I do. And then a third time, um, in verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And, and Peter said, um, uh, Lord, you know all thing, things, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so he uh, publicly restores him and uh, essentially releases him to do the work of the Lord, notwithstanding his great failure. And this is what the Lord does. He says... Verse 2 of chapter 15, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you, and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering, or in your appointed feast to make a sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd of the flock, then he who presents his offering to the Lord shall bring a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. You shall prepare with the burnt offering um, or the sacrifice for each lamb. So what's going on here? Well, um, again, this is just really an... Uh, uh, just grace on the part of the Lord, uh, not only reminding them that they or their progeny rather will go into the land, uh, and and He is reminding them that He will be there with them. He will be there with them um, to be sacrificed to, and and notice in verse three. Uh, speaks of that burnt offering, a free will offering, the kind as we have discussed before, uh, brings a sweet aroma to the Lord. Why? Because it's a free will offering. In other words, they can. He's reminding them that um, I'm going to bring you into the land, and you can freely worship me there. Again, uh, what uh, what mercy there. And so he will be repeating a lot of uh, what we have already uh, read about in the book of Leviticus. Uh, starts off with that burnt offering, continuing in verse 6, Or for a ram you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with uh, one-third of a hin of oil, 
And as a drink offering, you shall offer one-third of a hin of wine as a sweet aroma to the, to the Lord. And so moves into the grain offering. What was the grain offering? It was an offering of thanksgiving. Uh, and so, again, it's this, this act of mercy right after this miserable, demoralizing failure. He, he, he's, he's saying, look, you, you, you all are going to be going into the land, uh, your, your, your progeny, your children, and um, you will be worshiping me freely there. You will be thankful there. You will be praising me there for um, the place that you are in. And verse 8, when you prepare a young bull as a burn offering or as a sacrifice to fulfill, to fulfill a vow or as a peace offering to the Lord. The peace offering was that fellowship um, offering and of course a sacrifice to fulfill a vow, uh, probably referring to the Nazarite vow that we uh, read about. Then verse nine shall be offered with the young bull a, gr a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hen of oil, and you shall bring as the drink offering half a hen of wine as an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so, though they may be completely demoralized now, they will, they have a future to look to, a future where the Lord is pleased with them. That's what a sweet aroma to the Lord means. Uh, and it's a sweet aroma when the sacrifices are offered with hearts that are fully surrendered. Uh, of course, if it's an offering that is offered under compulsion, that is not something that the Lord uh, is delighted in at all. This, but, but offerings made with, an, uh, with a, um, an absolute surrender and cheerfully and with praise is a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thus it shall be done for a young bull for each ram or for each lamb or young goat. Verse 12, according to the number that you prepare, so you shall do with everyone according to their number. All who are native born shall do these things in this manner in presenting an offer made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you or whoever is among you throughout your generations, and would present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the tr stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are, so uh, the stranger be before the Lord. Verse 16, one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger, who dwells with you. And so repeated there uh, twice, and uh, or it's stated rather twice in verse 15 and 16. Uh, it's done that, of course, to get our attention that um, whether it's a natural born Jew, Israelite, or it is a proselyte, that is, a Gentile from another nation who um, becomes a worshiper of, Je of Jehovah, there shall be only, 
the, the, rather there shall be the same sacrifices, the same uh, governance around the sacrifice. And so there you see God um, has always had a heart really for the whole world. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his, his only begotten son. Now it is true that there's a, a special place for Israel as he is the nation um, that he raised up uh, as he that he raised up in order to save the world. But as we will be reading very specifically in Deuteronomy, God repeat, repeatedly tells the Jews that it wasn't because of any righteousness or that they were better than anyone else. It was purely an act of grace that he chose them. And that uh, here in verses 15 and 16, one law and one custom. Now, that it appears that this language here is about uh, referencing um, laws relating to the, um, the sacrifices. God doesn't want to make it any harder for a, uh, a, a convert, a Jewish convert, um, to, to, to get to him, to be able to worship him, doesn't want to put uh, more obstacles in the way. God delights in worship. He, uh, God, the Bible says uh, that God is not a respecter of persons, meaning he doesn't, uh, it, it means that everyone is on equal plane at the foot of the cross, and and we all have that same access to God, and, and there is not one ethnic group uh, that has uh, sort of a better deal than everyone, any, everyone else. Verse 16, one law, one custom shall be for you and the stranger who dwells with you. Now, um, that is, I believe, that that's meant to be a general principle throughout the Pentateuch, throughout the law. Although, uh, from time to time, you do see uh, a distinction in a couple of the laws uh, relating to uh, Jews and Gentiles. For example, slavery. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, um, chapter 25, there appears to be a distinction. Uh, it says in verse 39 of that chapter, if one of your brethren, meaning another Jew who dwells with you, becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave, but as a hired servant and he shall serve you unto the year of jubilee. In other words, um, he, won't, he won't be able to be a slave permanently. Uh, and it says, because, verse 42 of Leviticus 25, they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, and they shall not be sold as slaves. There's, Something about the fact they were rescued from slavery from the land of Egypt, that they are prohibited from becoming permanent slaves. But verse 44 says, And as for the male and female slaves whom you may have from the nations that are around you, they may, they you may buy uh, male, and, from them rather, you may buy male and female slaves. And so, there appears to be a distinction there 
between the stranger uh, and the, uh, the the Jew, that is the the Gentile and the Jew, the 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 men and women from other nations and the Jew, but generally speaking, I think the principle throughout the law of Moses um, is stated right there in verse sixteen: one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Verse seventeen says again: the Lord spoke to Moses, saying. Uh, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come to the land to which I bring you, then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering, as a heave offering of the threshing floor, so you shall offer it up. Of the first of your ground meal, you shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generations. And so um, the heave offering also we discussed in the book of Leviticus. And so God repeating to them again, this at the time of their great defeat, no, you will be worshiping me again. Verse 22 says, if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments, which the Lord has spoken to you, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day of the Lord, from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout all your generations, then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the ordinance and one kid of the goats as a sin offering. So we went over this in Leviticus chapter 4, the sin offerings. And he's just repeating them in his love for the people uh, here in Numbers chapter 15, verse 25 says, So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall for, he shall forgive them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offerings, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them, because um, all the people did it unintentionally. And if a person sins unintentionally, verse 27, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the people, person who sins unintentionally, when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born, among the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among them. Again, that principle of not discriminating between Jews and non-Jew proselytes. Verse 30 says, But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off 
his guilt shall be upon him. And so where it says that anyone who does something presumptuously, the Hebrew there is speaking of, of boldly or defiantly. And so uh, there are there are various um, uh, interpretations of this in the commentaries. Now we know, uh, we saw in the book of Leviticus, that there are uh, offerings uh, that um, people were able to present um, at the tabernacle for certain intentional sins, uh, certain trespasses. Uh, this, these two verses appear to be referring to these high-handed sins, appear to be referring to the sins that are listed uh, in the law of Moses, which require uh, a death sentence. For example, uh, child sacrifice, Leviticus 20, verse 2. Uh, the man, a man and woman caught in adultery, De Deuteronomy 22, verses 22 through 24. Uh, an idolater, Exodus 22, verse 20, breaking the Sabbath, um, Exodus 31, verse 14, and so on. And so uh, there is a, a question that is a fair one if there are no offerings for these high-handed sins, uh, does that mean there's forgiveness in Christ for them? Uh, it the, the, it's a good question um, because um, all of this and the, the law of Moses is supposed to be a foreshadowing of what is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, and so if only the offerings uh, that are for unintentional sins and for uh, certain trespasses intentional trespasses, if those are the only sins that uh, had offerings that could be made at the tabernacle and therefore were fulfilled in Christ, we're all in a lot of trouble who committed um, these uh, other sins. And uh, many of us, um, of course, have been uh, guilty of of the sins, there's at least 28 of them that are uh, have a capital sentence, a, a, a death sentence, actually, for making them. Uh, the answer to the question is that Jesus uh, indeed died for um, all our sins, and in, in, including the ones uh, that... Um, were considered capital crimes in the Old Testament. It says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he, uh, it says Jesus, verse 3, being the, uh, of chapter 1, being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, upholds all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins. In other words, all the sins that we have done, all of them, uh, were, were purged, uh, were put away. 
and so uh, all sins were put away. Even in the um, e- even in the uh, uh, in the law of Moses, if you look in the uh, book of Leviticus, the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter sixteen with a sin offering, it says in verse 21 that Aaron the high priest shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. And then, uh, of course, he sends it away into an uninhabited land. And and so all of the sins of the people uh, were atoned for uh, there in Hebrews chapter, back into the New Testament, um, speaking of Jesus, it says he, uh, it says Jesus Christ once at the end of the ages has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so um, any sin even the sins, the high-handed sins that required a death sentence in the Old Testament were put away in Christ. Now remember that David uh, committed uh, murder. He committed adultery, two sins of which required the death sentence. And uh, the prophet Nathan, when he confronted uh, David and after David acknowledged uh, that he sinned, uh, Nathan said what? He says, the Lord has put away your sin. Nevertheless, there should be certain consequences, but the Lord did put away his sin. And so God does in Christ put away sin. Uh, the reason some uh, sins were capital crimes, had death sentence that you couldn't say, well, you know, I, I murdered someone. I'd like to offer a bull uh and, and get off of, of, of get out of my penalty. The reason that was not the case is God was preserving this people. This, he was preserving them. He was bringing them out of uh, a place uh, of where they knew nothing of God at the time of Abraham. Um, their forefather, there was no knowledge of God, and he's bringing back, he's reintroducing them to himself, he's preserving them through, um, uh, among many other things, uh, this judicial system in which there were a, it was, uh, a, there were many capital crimes. You, you curse your father and mother. That was a capital crime at that time. But that does not mean that those were somehow unforgivable sins. As we saw in the life of David, uh, it, Moses himself had, had committed uh, murder. He murdered the Egyptian uh, at the beginning of Exodus. But uh, Christ puts away all sin. All sin was put on him, the sin of the world. And so uh, we continue uh, in the book of Numbers now. It says that, uh, let me find my place here, verse 32. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. So here you see an example of this high-handed 
presumptuous, bold, defiant sin. This is some guy saying, I know it's the Sabbath day, I'm just going to go out anyway. And it says, And those who found him gathering six brought him to Moses and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what uh, should be done to them, to him. And then the Moses said to the Lord said to Moses, This man shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And so as the Lord commanded, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died. And so uh, they're carrying out the very thing that was mentioned there in verses 30 and 31. Verse 37 says, Then the Lord again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of the garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners, and you shall have the tassel that you make, may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So he repeats twice in verse 41, I am the Lord your God. It's a serious thing. To have the Lord as our God, it's a, it, we are to have a, a fear of God, not be scared of him as like an irrational fear of God, but a healthy fear that he is God. Uh, very interesting to me there, it does say at the end of verse 39, uh, it says, you know, you, well, it, it, the idea here is for them to make these tassels on their garments and put a blue thread in them so that um, they would have that daily reminder, that reminder throughout the day as they're going around the streets and seeing that blue in the tassels of their fellow Jews that they're supposed to remember the commandments of God. And uh, it's just as a reminder to, uh, to refresh their recollection of God's commands, all of which uh, uh, the, you know, they asked um, Jesus, what is the most important command? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All, the, um, all of the law of Moses hangs on those two commandments. And so the commandments of God were really about love. If you love, you will obey all the Ten Commandments. Uh, they were all born out of love. But notice at the end of verse 39, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So if you're out there, if you're listening to this message and you're feeling good about uh, yourself, well, the Word of God says, has a different story. It says that um, your heart is inclined to harlotry. And your eyes are inclined to harlotry. And so, uh, but for the grace of God, but for the Spirit of God, who is uh, abundantly at work in us, 
that's where we'll wind up in some form of harlotry, if not with a woman, if with, uh, with money or with some har um, hobby that we have or uh, whatever that may be, some, some kind of idolatry, something that we have really put in the place of God. And um, if out of his grace to them, remember they're in this very demoralizing place, he's saying to them, put tassels at the bottom of your garments in blue there as an, as an additional reminder of the law and the law which was given to you out of my love for you and so uh so important there uh, joshua 1 8 uh maybe the, the the best verse in the bible addressing just the importance on just always reflecting on the word of god it says in verse 8 this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that it is written for then you will make your way prosper prosperous and then you will have good success so uh meditating on the law day and night and just any excuse you have to be looking uh, and reminding yourself of the word of God. I, I personally, what I do in my household is I, 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 I write out verses and I put them on little pieces of paper over the doorposts around the house. And how encouraging it is uh, to, uh, to read those verses. I have one right above my computer. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will complete that which concerns me. I have another one to the right of my computer. Incline your heart, and rather incline my heart to your testimonies, Lord, and not to covetousness. That's Psalm 119 verse 36. I have another one by my computer. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 You get the point. I mean, the more we can uh, have the uh, Word of God around us, um, the, the, the more that we will walk in worship and love, remembering that our hearts are inclined in our eyes to harlotry. And, and that's the way the flesh is until we get our glorified bodies. We must deal with the old man, the old woman. Chapter 16. Uh, we have another rebellion here. And uh, it is unclear how much time uh, is, took, how much time there was in between the rebellion and Numbers 14. Uh, and number 16, we do know that uh, the rebellion in Numbers 14 uh, took place really not that long after their journey uh, began. Uh, but um, here in verse 16, chapter 16, rather, there's another rebellion. It could be they were, remember, they were uh, 
the consequence of their actions, their actions from Numbers 14 was 38 more years in the wilderness. They could have been right, gone right up into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, but they instead took the long way through their rebellion. Uh, could have been uh, one year into that 38 years, could have been five, it could have been 10. It's, it's unclear exactly how much after chapter 14 uh, it is, I'm inclined to think, a little t some time had to have gone by for them to uh, f forget uh, the horrible effect of the, and some of the, really some of the immediate consequences of the rebellion in Numbers chapter 14. I mean, for, uh, 10 of the spies had died in a plague and and then they had gone up and been defeated by the Amalekites. And uh, But the, the one thing about rebellious man, if there's rebellion in the heart of a man, they have short memories. And uh, Korah's memory had to have been short because chapter 16 of Numbers and uh, verse 1 says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abram, the son, sons of Eliab, and, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Oh my. So here you have this man, Korah, his name uh, in some respects lives in infamy in the Bible. Uh, his person does. Now the sons of Korah, they will, uh, the sons of Korah will actually be psalmists and singers, uh, Levite singers, uh, which uh, speaks to the grace of God. They you see them uh, in the book of Psalms. But, um, here you have Korah. Now, he is a Levite. And remember that every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest, meaning every priest was a descendant of Levite, but not every descendant uh, of Levi was uh, a priest. And uh, Korah was not. He was not a priest. However, he was a son of, uh, of Kohath, meaning he had a great privilege among the children of Israel, and that was the responsibility of transferring furnishings of the tabernacle. I think we saw that earlier on in uh, the book of Numbers. Uh, and uh, But that wasn't good enough. The Bible says the eyes of man um, are never satisfied. The book of Proverbs Jude speaks of Korah as a warning uh, to leaders of rebellion against God-given authority. There, uh, there is, you know, the Bible says, Paul says to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and just being satisfied with the blessings and the calling and the privilege that God gave us and, and, and not be uh, uh, coveting. I just think of the this verse that's uh, right next to my computer, 
which says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. That is the verse that I quoted earlier. Uh, oh man, does covetousness get us into trouble when we are coveting, uh, in this case, uh, someone else's position. So Korah apparently aiming at Aaron's position, possibly Aaron, to be uh, actually a priest and be able to go into the holy place. Uh, could be he may also be aiming for for Moses's. It's it's unclear. Uh, there's Reubenites, however, here as well. It says that um, Dathan, Abram, and On were were sons of Reuben, and uh, all of them uh, were we're going after uh, position here. James chapter 3 verse 14 says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, uh, do not boast and lie against the, the truth, uh, because that kind of wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Uh, what is at the um, heart of every church split is the devil. Uh, those who lead church splits are are uh, really it's it's a incredibly dangerous thing uh, it, because it's demonic. It's something that Satan does. Verse sixteen cha um, of chapter three of James says, "For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every kind of evil are there." So selfish ambition. Uh, is something that's used by the devil himself to split churches. And here you have 250 men of renown. And so uh, it's, it's hard to overemphasize how difficult this trial must have been on Moses and Aaron to see 250 leaders of renown tell you, it just uh, reminds you of Absalom, uh, that he was able to win a nation to himself what you, when you have one person uh, with a selfish ambition. Very well, the source of that could be bitterness. It's, it's unclear if there was Korah was feeling bitter here. Probably was. He was apparently not happy that he was not allowed to go into the holy place or the tabernacle. What a bitter and selfish, ambitious person is the, the, just the amount of people uh, that they can uh, bring to themselves. Oh, how we are supposed to guide, to guard our hearts, the Bible says in Proverbs. God, above all things, guard your heart for from it flow the issues of life. It says in verse 3, this, this gathering uh, gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Uh, and so... Yeah, it's amazing what the devil does. He takes truth, 
Uh, and the truth here is that it is true that all the congregation is holy. Uh, but what's not true is that, uh, th- that God does not appoint certain men and women and put them into places of, of authority and you know, in a church or, or, or otherwise, and um, because it's, it's you, you always see hierarchy. Hierarchy brings about order. The Bible says that uh, we are reminded in, in, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, um, everything needs to be done decently and in order um, at church. And in order for things to be done in order, there must be hierarchy. Uh, And so just speak to any NFL coach and um, ask them about trying to have two quarterbacks, uh, much less having 10 quarterbacks. It it virtually never works. And so um, here you have this assembly gather against Moses and um, and say, well, what are you doing exalting yourself? Of course, Moses was not exalting himself. We've already read he was the most humble person on the face of the earth. And um, he himself pleaded with God to give him another job. It's the last thing he was doing was uh, exalting himself. Um, it says in verse 4 that when Moses heard this, he fell on his face. Why did he do that? Um, well, he uh, he appears um, to be uh, in in this particular face uh, in this particular instance. Um, he appears to be falling on his face because he is fearful. Of what's going to happen to these people? He's, he he knows that judgment's coming. Um, it's now it's interesting that in Numbers chapter fourteen, verse five, it says Moses and Aaron fell on their face, but it was to intercede for the people and plead mercy. But it's one thing for people to become rebels uh, against. Well, you know, I know God wants me to 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 go into the promised land, but I'm I'm. I'm chicken. I'm not going to do it. Uh, that is rebellion. Um, but it's a completely different kind of rebellion is when it w- w- deals with um, people who want to go into the very presence of the Lord as priests with the, 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 the priests and the high priest being types of Jesus Christ. Man, when you mess with a type in the Bible, ooh, man, this judgment... Uh, on its way, and so that's what they're doing here. And uh, Moses uh, seems to be very aware that oh my, judgment's going to come. There's not going to be intercession uh, here, other than what we'll see intercession for ju- actual judgment. It says that he spoke to Korah and his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy, and will come and will cause him to come near to him, that one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah, and all your company, uh, 
put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Now, why does he tell them to do this? Well, censors uh, could only... Uh, they could only, only priests could approach the altar of God with censers. We saw Nadab and Abihu, now that they were priests, true, but they had not been high priests, and they, they had tried to take on really the, the duty of a high priest. What happened? The fire of the Lord came out upon them, and man, when someone d did a tried to perform a function and go before God without the appropriate, number one, designation, um, but also without the appropriate uh, you know, baptisms, washings, and sacrifices. Uh, that was the case with Nadab and Abihu. There would be judgment coming for sure. And so Moses knew full well what was going to happen if um, individuals who had not been designated, did not have the proper designation of priests, uh, approached the altar with uh, incense, he knew that there would be judgment there. And uh, and then it says in verse 8, M Moses uh, speaks to Korah directly, says, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? So what he's telling him is that as Levites, you have the wonderful privilege of ministering before the Lord. Remember, they had many functions. They, for example, helped out with all the offerings, the slaughtering of the bulls, these types of things. They helped out with the transport um, of uh, the things, in, uh, the, in, the instruments and the, the different, uh, uh, the different uh, things that were uh, that made up the tabernacle. They transported them. They they served in in many ways. They they were privileged. And how important is it for you and I to be grateful for whatever it is that um, the Lord uh, has given to us, whatever calling that He has put on our life for now. We we need to be grateful. Uh, uh, to, uh, for that and not always be coveting someone else's uh, position in, in our lives. And, and here uh, Moses is, is telling Korah and the rest of the Levites, come on, you guys have been so privileged. Why? Why do you have to do what you're doing? You're, this, is, this is rebellion. It says in verse um, 11, Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. So he, what he's saying um, to them is, you're not gathering against me. You're gathering against the Lord. And, and this is such an important principle uh, that we need to understand. When we come against an authority that God has put over us in our life, whether it's 
um, a boss, whether it's uh, a pastor, whether it's uh, a mayor of a city or the president of the United States, or uh, whether it's uh, in, in the home, a, a wife coming against her husband, you are coming against God. And there just needs to be a holy fear because if you come against an authority uh, in an improper way, judgment is coming. And so uh, just having a healthy fear of the Lord when it comes to authority, uh, Moses says, you, when you come, when you're coming against me, you're coming against the Lord. And then he says in verse 11, then what is Aaron that you complained against him? Verse 12 says, And Moses sent, sent to call Dathan and Ab Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. So the, the Reubenites just flat out uh, rebelled. They did, refused to even talk to him. Verse 13, is it, um, the, the, these Reubenites spoke to Moses in verse 13, Is it a small thing? that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Like as you're reading this, you're thinking, oh my, this is not going to have a good ending. It was, they're accusing um, Moses of the fact that they're in the wilderness. Well, they're in the wilderness because of their own sin. It had nothing to do with Moses. Uh, and uh, and, um, and and calling the the land of Egypt a land of milk and honey, please. That's not what. Uh, that's the, the the talk about a reversal. The land of milk and honey was was um, Israel, not Egypt. They're, so they're twisting everything around. Verse fourteen. Moreover. You have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt any one of them. And so here Moses does intercede only. He's actually interceding instead of mercy he's interceding for judgment and Moses verse 6 said to Korah or rather verse 16 said to Korah tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord you and they as well as Aaron let each take his censer and put incense in it and each of you bring his censer before the Lord 250 censers both you and and Aaron, each with his censer. So it says in verse 18, So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle. Oh my. In verse 19, it says, And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, 
separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And so uh, as you're reading through this, it, 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 would be, you would behoove yourself to just reflect and chew on these verses here because you will, if you have not already many times, be in these situations where you're outnumbered. And it may not be people, probably won't be people uh, wanting to kill you or, or something like that, but it, it may be the situation where only you are, are in are willing to stand up for the truth. Only you are willing not to lie about something. Only you are willing not to defile, defile your mind by a, a wicked movie or, or something like that. Um, only you is willing to go to church and pray to God. Well, um, take heart. You are just at the end of a very, very long line of people who have been vastly outnumbered, who walked in faith and saw the Lord act on their behalf. And he will act on your behalf as well. But you need to take faith. These, um, these stories here are, are here meant to, to strengthen our faith because the Lord will do the same thing. Thing for you, whatever is necessary to empower you in that situation or to turn back um, those who are opposing you or uh, isolating you. So uh, the Lord spoke to Moses and separate from among the congregation that I may consume them for a moment. Verse two, 22, again, it says that they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, this God of the spirits of all flesh, Shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? And so apparently God was going to wipe out the whole congregation here. Just so wonderful seeing this example of Moses time and time again. He is, um, he is interceding for the congregation. Uh, now keep in mind that this congregation uh, that the Lord's about to wipe out, uh, it, it, they were uh, gathering around Korah at this point. It says in verse 19, and Korah gathered all the congregation against them. And so Moses is interceding for people who are coming against him. Uh, the same way that he did in Numbers 14, verse 5, where it says that Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly, and he interceded for them, and he cried out to the Lord, uh, reminding the Lord, verse 18 of Numbers 14, that, that the Lord is long-suffering, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And so um, the next time that you have someone coming against you as crazy and unnatural as it feels. Go to the Lord. Plead his mercy for this person, that this person may see the hand of the Lord, may see the love of the Lord. And so here he is, and um, they're, they're, they're interceding on behalf of the whole congregation. And essentially what he's saying is, look, 
Lord, wipe out Korah, uh, wipe out uh, Dathan, wipe out Abram, but not uh, wipe out this guy own, but uh, don't wipe out the entire congregation. They've been duped. Uh, and so he intercedes and the Lord relents. And uh, sometimes the Lord's just waiting for us to pray and we're balking, we're delaying because we can't imagine the Lord's ever going to answer, but he's just waiting for us to do that. And he said, verse 23, it says, he spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abram. And so they were smart enough to do that. I think they they saw the glory of the Lord. It says the glory of the Lord appeared in verse uh, 19. So they 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 know they they begin to realize something's up, and so they had not been completely hardened uh, by you know in their rebellion, and so they back off the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. It says, And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. An interesting verse there. Um, it does not say that the wives and the sons and the little children of Korah came out. And some people believe that's why you see the references of the descendants of Korah becoming psalmists and being used mightily by the Lord, which of course is a, a great expression of the grace of God that notwithstanding um, someone's rebellion, he can still redeem uh, their, their descendants. Um, but it says that, again, that um, Dathan and Abram and their wives, sons, and their children uh, stood at the door of their, their, uh, their tents, apparently all in, in rebellion, uh, but again, the suggestion that the sons and the wives and even the little children of Korah didn't take place in the rebellion. And Moses said, by this you shall know, uh, verse 28, that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if, verse 30, if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Interesting that we had just read in chapter 15, but a person who does anything presumptuously or boldly or defiantly shall be cut off and here, of course, is, is a classic um, example of that behavior. They've rejected the Lord, and they are, they're about to be cut off. Verse 31 says, Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart 
under them. So oftentimes, by the way, uh, I know I'm going off on a rabbit trail right in the middle of the climax of the story, but um, the Lord will answer you even as the words the words haven't even finished leaving your lips. He'll answer you. You ask for wisdom, and by the you haven't even spoken the last word, and he's already uh, spoken you the answer to your prayer. And and that's what happens here. He's, right as he's finishing the words, the ground splits apart. Verse 32, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So so they and all those with them went down alive to the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all of Israel who were around them fled and cried, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up as well. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men who were offering incense. So there's really two judgments here. There's one of the ones offering incense, and then there's another one of everyone else who's joining them in the rebellion. Verse 36, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Eleazar, the, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers and out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire from uh, some distance away. This the censors of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, speaking of the tabernacle. Because they presented them before the Lord, therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar, to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. And so there's a uh, reminder that is sort of installed there uh, as a covering for the altar uh, that anyone else as a reminder before anyone approached, look, if you're an outsider, you better not uh, come near here. Now, Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26, the king, well, wonderful king, but it does say at the very end of his life, it says when he was strong, verse 16 of Second uh, Chronicles 26, his heart was lifted up and he... Uh, he transgressed against the Lord by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the of the altar of incense. And so you got to wonder, was that uh, same reminder there uh, that had this reminder that Eleazar the, Eleazar the priest had, had put up uh, as a covering to the altar, was it still there? Uh, I would say it probably was. And Uzziah ignored it, and to his own destruction, he was afflicted with leprosy. And so um, it says in verse 41, on the next day, all the uh, children of the Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, 
You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Now, verse 41, it does seem incredulous uh, that um, notwithstanding the fact that that, that fire came out and consumed the 250 men and the earth opened up, of course Moses can't do that. Why are these people coming against Moses? Uh, it's, it's just amazing the deceitfulness of sin. It's amazing how sin blinds. And so they're, they're coming against Moses and Aaron here. Once again, the glory of the Lord uh, appears in verse 42. Verse 43, it says, Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So this is the theme here. Uh, the, the, The people rebel. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and intercede. Now again, Uh, We are being repeatedly reminded here by the Holy Spirit that when people come against us, when they come against me, when they come against you, our duty is not to um, grovel in bitterness and think of all of the reasons why we are being so bitterly wrong. That's just going to make us miserable and bring us to a low place and allow Satan to beat us up relentlessly. No. Um, the Bible says in 1 John 5.18, keep yourself in the love of God. It says to keep the one the one who is born of God keeps himself. I believe that means keeps himself in the love of God. And the evil one cannot touch him. And so um, you got to keep yourself in the love of God. Jude says the same thing. Keep yourself in the love of God. Uh, because if you don't, you're just going to be beaten up by the devil. And so when that person's come against you, fall on your face, get to that quiet place, the secret place, fall on your face, ask for God's mercy, uh, and you will be amazed at what it does to your own soul. But also, uh, the Lord is often moved in those situations to respond to your intercession. So they do it. They fall on their faces. Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. And so he put in the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living and so of course this is a foreshadowing to none other than jesus christ aaron being the high priest uh, who was a foreshadowing of the high priest uh, jesus christ who stands before uh, the living and death and was victorious over death and it says the plague was stopped. And so the plague of death is stopped through Jesus' perfect life, his death and resurrection. The plague of death is 
is is is stopped and and so um, Jesus brings salvation and so Aaron a picture of that here says though that it says that the those who died uh, uh, in the plague were fourteen thousand seven hundred besides those who died in the Korah incident so Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Now, for those of you who may not be as familiar with the Old Testament, you may be reading about these things going, this is complete madness. Uh, fire uh, coming from the altar of God, uh, the earth opening up. Really, I think the, the best thing to do with a chapter like this is just to, uh, same thing as the Nadab and Abihu incident. It's let let these words just do a work on your heart and that these words of this chapter chapter 16 of numbers are yet another reminder of what Christ has done for us but for his life death and resurrection we could not have access to god we could not have access to the Lord. Even the only person who had direct access to him was the high priest, and that was only after baptisms and many sacrifices and this type of thing. And um, if someone just tried to get into the presence of the Lord without their sin being properly dealt with, the fire of the Lord came against them, the wrath of God broke out against them. And so that is what Jesus did for you on the cross. The wrath of God was poured out on him. And the wrath of God was poured out on him so that it, it would not have to be poured out on you when you go into the presence of the Lord. On the contrary, because Jesus willingly took on that wrath, it says that you can go into the presence of the Lord with boldness and with great confidence. It says in uh, Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. It says in chapter 10 of Hebrews, uh, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, he prepared for us, through the veil that is his flesh. So, but for what Jesus did for us, this is what would happen if we ever uh, tried to get into the presence of the Lord with our sin not properly put away, uh, that the fire gone out. Uh, but as well, we need to understand that that fire that went out against these 250 men who tried to appear before the Lord with burning censers, um, Jesus actually took on that same wrath for you. And so uh, 
these these chapters the desired effect that the Holy Spirit wants on your heart and your life is for you just to love your Lord and just to consider and worship Jesus because of the privilege which he purchased for you for you to be able to go boldly into the throne of God. Okay, we will pick up next time in Numbers chapter 17. God bless you.